We're not just doing this for money. We're doing it for a shitload of money. Full speed ahead, Mr. Kine. It's fun to charter an accountant and sail the wide accountancy to find, explore the funds offshore and skirt the shoals of bankruptcy. It can be manly in insurance. We'll up your premium semi-annually. It's all tax deductible, we're fairly incorruptible, we're sailing on the wide accountancy. Oh, this is fun, Mr. Cohen. Fetch me another exotic cheroot. To port, bring a port to Shelley, and the medium dry Shelley to port. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is Pierre Richard, and I'm joined with my co-host, Michael Goldstein, a.k.a. Bitstein. How's it going, Michael? It's going well. How are you doing, Pierre? Very well, very well. Um, a couple of... Wait, now I, I I don't even know what day it is anymore. Um, but, yeah, it's, a it's couple of weeks ago. It's literally November 5th, and the, yes, poem, right. the poem says to remember it, so... Yeah, so there you go. Um, and yeah, this, this is coincidental that it's on the 5th of November. I was actually, I was reading up like what Guy Fox day is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I subscribe to Guy Fox's, uh, worldview. Uh, was he uh, the one that was trying to actually set up some kind of Catholic theocracy? Yeah. Yeah. And like nominally I'm Catholic, like on paper. Right. But not that I ever, ever go to church. And so he was like trying to set up a Catholic theocracy type thing in, in the UK, but it also involves like killing people with his gunpowder plot under the House of Lords. So I'm not, I'm not big on, on acts of violent terrorism. Um, and I'd have to rewatch the movie. I haven't seen the movie in a decade or whenever it came out uh, to, to, to know if I still like it. I remember liking it at the time. But yes, yeah, so although oh, that how was things also, have changed. It was 2005. So it's actually hard to believe how old it is now. Um, yeah, I mean, George W. Bush was president. You know, it was like really, uh, yeah, it was a very rebellious <laughs> movie at the time. Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember that feeling. But uh, if I remember correctly, I don't even think Alan Moore had any, when he wrote the comic book, I don't think he had some special you know, love of Guy Fox so much as uh, just using it as sort of this symbolic thing of just a rebellion. Yeah. Um, but it's been 13 years since I've looked into that. So I don't know. All right. Anyway, um, so, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I did the Lightning Residency and we have a previous episode where we had uh, Lightning Koala and Will O'Baron on. Um, sorry, no, James O'Baron. There's, there's actually two O'Barrens, so it's not like I'm being crazy here. Uh, they're brothers, and they were both at the residency, one as the organizer of the residency and the other as a participant. And 
normally normally you would think i'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here but normally you would think that like oh you know james selected his brother to be a resident because of um not not patronage what's what's that called when you like hire people that are related to you uh, nepotism nepotism yeah you would think it would be a form of nepotism but will actually is a like 10x super developer uh who really flashed his skills at the uh residency because he created a browser extension that allows you to use lightning uh you know the way that ethereum people use metamask uh, so you can visit a website it requests your permission to know that you have a lightning wallet uh, and then once you grant it that, then uh, the website can, you know, request you, that you make payments and whatnot. So uh, that's a little tangent about uh, James's brother. And uh, James himself was uh, organizing it. He works for Chain Code Labs. He had uh, John Newberry helping him organize it as well. Um, and basically, if I just like run down what the residency was. Well, first of all, like uh, Chain Code Labs has uh, to explain what Chain Code Labs is. It's a nonprofit. I don't. I don't. They're not like officially nonprofit, but they're just. They they don't have a product that they sell, so I don't think they're making a profit. Uh, not profitable. But, yeah, yeah, nonprofitable <laughs> uh, business uh, that um, is working on Bitcoin Core. Uh, and has hired a number of Bitcoin Core developers. Uh, and the, the way they do that is basically they have like uh, outside funding and the founders essentially provide the, provided the seed capital for it. Um, and uh, in the past, they have hosted Chain Code Lab residencies for people who are working on Bitcoin Core or Bitcoin, the, the protocol. Um, and they've done that, I think, twice now. Mm -hmm. uh, I applied in the past and got rejected, sadly. Uh, Likewise. So, yeah, uh, it's, uh, which really speaks to how shitty of a developer I am and also how awesome, how many awesome uh, applicants they have to their residencies. Um, now, I somehow, you know, got lucked into getting accepted this time around. Uh, and my application idea was to create a Excel plugin that would allow you to connect to your Lightning node and essentially use Excel as a stateless UI, uh, much like you would use a web page, except that you don't have to run like a web server or run an Electron app or anything like that. Uh, your your environment is already included if you're one of those finance business types who has Excel on their Windows computer. Um, so yeah, that, that was like what my project was when I applied and they also on the application, they had questions about other projects that I'd done. And, uh, you know, I, I could point to things that are actually in production and live on, on the internet, uh, like Bitcoin X that I created, uh, which, which is great in this, in this scenario, because, uh, they themselves are users of Bitcoin X. So it's, it's nice to have that as the example project of something I've actually shipped. Um, and so, uh, yeah, anyway, it, it all happened on very short notice because I think they started organizing this in like August and the residency was in October. Um, but yeah, definitely follow the Chain Code Labs account on Twitter, follow at James OB uh, so that you hear about the next 
um, residency to apply to. And I, I of course, I'll sh- be shilling it on on the podcasts and uh, on Twitter and whatnot uh, because uh, I had a great experience at the uh, Lightning residency. And so, like, every morning, well, for the, you know, it's, it's five days. For the first four days, every morning we had, uh, I think, a total of four speakers. Um, so on day one, uh, it kicked off with Christian Decker, who uh, has contributed significantly to uh, C Lightning implementation. And basically what that is is that uh, just as there are a number of different implementations for Bitcoin nodes, uh, there are a number of different implementations for Lightning nodes. And one is written in Go, and that was created by Lightning Labs, uh, by Lualu and uh, his team there, um, also known as Roastbeef. I like I like that name better. I should just call him Roastbeef. I've never, I yeah, haven't met him in carnivore, person. I definitely approve of that handle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's a Eclair that is written in Scala, I believe. Yes. Um, and that team is out of Europe. And then there's the uh, C Lightning team that works at Blockstream. And I think that the, the to, to use a good pun, the kernel of it is uh, Christian Decker and Rusty Russell. Uh, but I think that they've got other people contributing as well at this point. Anyway, uh, Christian Decker kicked it off and he was talking about uh, kind of the history of Lightning and of uh, payment channels in Bitcoin. It goes back a lot further than I thought. In fact, Satoshi Nakamoto implemented the first, like, uh, you know, I, I don't even know if you want to call it a uh, off-chain payments. It, I, I guess it really was off-chain payments. Like, uh, yeah, let's call it, a, 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 he created like the first payment channel um, using N-sequence uh, transaction field. Uh, but that that was kind of like, and this is the case in any kind of software development, I think, is that the first implementation is like the naive implementation that you know is kind of the easiest to grok. And then you realize like, oh wait, it has these fundamental limitations and we need to creatively figure out how to solve them. And that was true for Bitcoin as well, right? Like Bitcoin is uh, the nth iteration on this idea of digital cash. Yeah. Uh, and it'd been uh, attempted many times before. Um, so it's not surprising that that Satoshi there's, did not get, yeah. Oh, there's also like in, in Bitcoin, interestingly, sort of from the opposite direction where uh, over time uh, we came to have, for instance, like a, a less naive view on, on scaling. Yeah, for and sure. So we sure. actually recognize that there were more limitations um, than we thought that we have to, to deal with. Yeah. And... And it's funny too because like there's there's limitations that are basic deal breakers, right? Uh, and then there's limitations where it's like, all right, we're going to have to find a way to help this scale. Whether it's like, like with with uh, Bitcoin Core starting to use um, SHA two fifty six like crypto acceleration in processors, uh, and so like that's something where okay, that's going to help make Bitcoin more scalable in a sense. Um, 
and but it's it's not like it was a deal breaker to not have it it's uh there's like mm-hmm. optimizations um but this this end sequence transaction update thing was like it was just there there wasn't really optimizations on top of it and uh end sequence ended up just getting reused for other things uh it never took off as a payment channel thing um so i i think that like to expect satoshi to have figured out how to do payment channels correctly from day zero is probably the most absurd version of Satoshi's vision I've heard. Like <laughs> he Satoshi's pre- vision is he using a pretty great job though. Uh, huh? You know, just laying the groundwork on a lot of these ideas. Um, you know, we, we don't we don't speak highly of him now, but um, you know, Mike Hearn had that talk from 2012 uh, that I know you and I saw. I think it was early 2013 by the time we saw it, but it was his. Uh, talk on Bitcoin contracts, essentially, um, about the different things. And uh, many of the stuff that he was describing, which included payment channels, had in some form sort of been, the, the, the seeds of it had been uh, planted by Satoshi. And he had been thinking about them during development, which is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And and same thing with uh, Satoshi had like a, this idea for doing a digital marketplace as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in the code somewhere, and then that got taken up by Dark Market, and then Open Bazaar. Um, so, the, like, to say that Satoshi had everything figured out is a little absurd, given that he he, he got just enough figured out, right? <laughs> yeah, well, he got the most important part, in my opinion, yeah. figured out, which is a uh, you know fixed monetary supply, and uh, you know a sound monetary policy. Yeah, and, and figuring out like how to do difficulty adjustment for proof of work. Yeah, that that'll be uh, what he gets the uh, Nobel Prize for when we uh, strip strip the uh, central banks of their uh, role in handing out awards to smart people, um, and we get to uh, reward people who have good thought. Yeah, I think that that would be specifically what I would give Satoshi um, the award for would be the difficulty adjustment. Um, for sure. For as sure. for the payment channels, like not, the, the not history, his payment channel implementation. Yeah. Uh, as for the the payment channel history, the um, I highly recommend uh, listeners go check out the payment channels page on the Bitcoin Wiki, and it goes through all of these uh, you know different uh, types of payment channels that have been um, proposed uh, throughout Bitcoin's history. Some of them implemented um, from Satoshi Nakamoto is a very, very naive uh, version all the way through um, HTLCs that Lightning Network uses, as well as like the L2 version, et cetera. Yeah, and that's basically like what what uh, Christian Decker covered for us, that whole history up to L2. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't think that people are necessarily familiar with L2, but the TLDR on that is that it's just a, a a a way of doing lightning without doing the the penalty aspect of it, um, where you punish people for uh, broadcasting state that's been revoked before. Um, so the the advantage there is that like doing backups is easier um, and state management is easier, but the disadvantage is that we need to do a sig hash no input soft fork. And there's debate about that. In a sense, does that make it more trustless 
like more trust minimized since you don't have to, if you're in an L2 channel, you, it, it's almost like you don't have to be as concerned about the behavior of the other person in it. Um, I don't know enough about the specifics. We'd have to have Christian on to uh, walk us through that because I actually, I, 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 I suspect that that's not the case and mm -hmm. that, uh, the, the, the mechanism is different, but the trust model is the same. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, honestly, I could try, I could try just reading what I wrote, but I didn't understand what I was writing. And, um, it's, it's still not like I, I try to focus my attention on things that are either in production today. Well, really, I mean, yeah, things that are in production today, like lightning is on mainnet today. So, um, if I try, if I get distracted by like future research, then it's, it's, some of it is just never going to happen, and then I feel like I wasted time. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I'm in the same boat. In fact, you know, Lightning, Lightning Network, I too just kind of treated it as vaporware until I saw the video of a of of roast beef's um, test transaction on Testnet, where he like bought bought the coffee from yeah. Starblocks. I think they called it. Um, that was the moment. It was like, okay, this thing is finally real. Let's go jump in. Uh, but it, but. Up until then, uh, anytime someone is is treating non-production software as the solution for problems, it's not useful at all. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, after after Christian Decker was Elaine Wu, uh, and she she's awesome. She writes uh, for uh, Bloomberg opinion pieces that are debunking FUD spread by uh nutty anti-coiners uh, also like found on bloomberg <laughs> yeah um right so it, basically the person who is benefiting from all of this is mike bloomberg and uh he thanks you for your clicks and eyeballs um but you know she's she's awesome and uh she gave a presentation about uh bootstrapping and maintaining a lightning node so it was, uh explaining like how how autopilot works uh why payments fail to route uh future things there's a lot of future things atomic multipath transactions splicing which we had um uh we had someone come on the show to talk about splicing uh recently um was that uh alex uh there was alex but i thought that uh, that's all right. Um, anyway, so that was really interesting. Uh, afterwards we had Alex Bosworth and he, so he has been on the podcast before. And, uh, when he came on the podcast, he did not work for lightning labs. He was like out on his own, basically doing his own thing. Uh, but yeah, he got hired by lightning labs to be a, uh, I think lead infrastructure engineer or something along those lines. Um, and basically his presentation walked through. So, uh, in Bitcoin, we have BIPs that are Bitcoin improvement proposals that kind of explain, um, d different changes to the protocol that people are env envisioning, but we don't have a specification per se. Uh, so BIPs aren't really a specification or they're not an amendment to a specification either. Uh, and some of them like are are implemented by some people and not implemented by others. Uh -huh. So it's not, it, and that kind of reflects like 
Bitcoin is decentralized. So there's no one with a stick around to like be like, hey, why are you not complying with BIP? Whatever, you know, it's like everyone does their own thing. Uh, anyway, uh, all this to say that uh, Lightning uh, has tried to develop a specification uh, using uh, what's called a, uh, or what are called bolts. Um, I'm sure that stands for something. Uh, but let's see. Oh yeah, it does. Uh, basis of lightning technology. So they really reverse engineered that <laughs> acronym rather well. Um, and so if you go to GitHub uh, slash lightning network slash lightning dash RFC, you'll see all the bolts. Uh, there are currently 11 of them. And in uh, Alex's presentation, he went through the bolts one by one and explained uh, what, how, how is this bolt relevant to an application developer? Not a protocol developer, not a lightning developer per se, but an application developer who's uh, accepting lightning payments um, for as part of their application. Um, oh, by the way, all, all of this I wrote up in a series of Medium posts. So if listeners want to go check that out, they can uh, read it and get into the nitty gritty details. Um, and then we had a uh, Chris Stewart speak and Chris Stewart, he's been working on an interesting, uh, lightning application called shared bits that essentially is like, uh, what 21 should have been, which is paying for a, an API pay per use type model, uh, that leverages the fact that, yeah, you can send small value instant payments. My question there is how to... How, how these things will end up actually getting priced if something like this emerged because of the fact that you have to trust that the data is actually good. But I guess here there's like a, is it a sort of centralized entity that you're purchasing data from? Uh, oh yeah, it's 100% centralized. It's not like okay. some kind of decentralized Oracle or, although I mean, that, that could get interesting as well, right? And we kind of saw, you know, it's interesting, uh, a long time ago, uh, there was an event called the the Fappening, and I won't get into what that event was, but at the time it was like someone ransomed some pictures that were inappropriate for Bitcoin. Uh, and you could kind of do that same kind of ransom, but like in a more trustless manner, I think with, uh, with Lightning. And I hope that doesn't happen, and I hope that we don't descend into crypto anarchy, but... Uh, well, I mean, we already are. We live in crypto anarchy as it is, but... Um... Uh, I know that I think it was Amir Taki and Peter Todd had developed something as well um, for being able to uh, hand over information for Bitcoin by uh, revealing some parts of the data. Um, but the, the, the issue I was thinking of was if you get into a more sort of grid computing model, where you want to get mm -hmm. information from a bunch of like random nodes geographically or something like that, you have this massive issue of, well, how do you actually know that data is legit in any way? Yeah. Now, when you use a centralized service, it's easy because you either trust them or you don't. Um, yeah, and then if they feed you bad data, you sue them or whatever. Right, uh, but it can be very difficult if you're trying to do just cash payments for a piece of information as opposed to being a sort of regular customer, shall we say or going to someone who yeah. has regular customers. Yeah, very true. Um, 
Yeah, so I, 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 could, I could keep rambling on about uh, people who, uh, you know, about the, uh, the, the speeches at the Lightning Residency. Yeah. Um, well, we'll definitely put the uh, links to your Medium posts uh, yeah. in the show notes because um, it's very fun to walk through. I, don't know, I, I, I have to assume that they did not record these for public consumption. They did. Oh. They absolutely did. And they'll be releasing them. And uh, I asked John that we, if we can rebroadcast them on Noted, just the audio. Um, so we'll see. And if John doesn't let us do that, then I hope that our audience will troll him on Twitter until he quits Twitter. <laughs> no, don't do that. Be nice to John. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so the uh, all the other talks, uh, I'll uh, either rebroadcast on the Noted Podcast or we will provide links to the actual video recording of, of it. Um, I, and so that, 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 yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, so with that in mind, I have two questions for you. And I think you're actually getting to the second one after this. Yeah. So we'll start with the first one, which was just uh, out of all of the talks, what would you say your favorite one was? Um, yeah, that's... That's a tough question. Uh, really, it would have to go down to uh, Christian Decker's presentation about Sea Lightning, um, because I had only worked with LND, and I didn't have like a, any understanding of what they were doing with Sea Lightning, mm-hmm. and I actually found it to be much more interesting from a software architecture's perspective than from like Lightning Network per se. Um, and the, the, the amount of thought that they put into uh, and an engineering effort that they put into the architecture was rather impressive where every channel is running on its own process. Uh, and so that allows you to like have, um, so like the, the way he described it was having like one state machine per channel and it only has access to data that it's relevant to it. And that's like improved uh, security. Um, and I'd never worked with any like code base or piece of software that did this. Uh, you know, you, you might have like multiple threads if you're, you know, for concurrency. Uh, but this is really a, uh, a, a process pool uh, that, that they're using. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, well, so it's just the magic of some Galaxy Brain Unix wizards working on the software. Get some pretty incredible yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and it's it's also like, this, I, I don't know how you would build something more performant than what they've done with C-Lightning. Like, first of all, it's written in C, which is kind of known as being as low level as you get without going into, you know, assembler um or assembly or whatever the name is for that um but the other thing too is that like yeah having having everything um be very uh decoupled and be very separated into like their own processes like all all computers today are multiprocessor and so to use the, to take advantage of being multiprocessor you have to have like multiple processes running. Um, I, 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 it's, that's my understanding of it, at least, especially for like something that's computationally intensive. Mm-hmm. I know that for like doing network requests, you don't need that. But um, so you could get into like, well, 
Sea Lightning is more about doing network requests than about using, uh, you know, the processor. And so maybe having multiple processes, maybe you could do multiple threads or something. But um, I think that like they, they, they clearly have. I, I like engineers that are opinionated, and I don't like it when engineers are opinionated and then they cannot execute on their opinion and they leave you with a piece of trash. Uh, but this is not the case here. These people are opinionated and they've built a uh, quality piece of software. Um, and so I think that it's like particularly well adapted for uh, operating in a server environment. And I've only dealt with lightning client type uh, use cases, but, and it's funny because like every lightning client that at least that uses, you know, a node is a server as well. Um, it's just like, the key difference is, is it running like as a routing node, basically? Oh, and this was other, another interesting thing. It got brought up, I think, uh, with Alex Bosworth. Um, basically, if you've got a mobile application for uh, your your payments, for your Lightning payments, uh, and it's got like LND bundled into it, all of your channels you should be setting to be private. Uh, they shouldn't be marked as public and your node shouldn't be marked as public because otherwise uh, you're going to have people trying to route through you and they're going they're not going to be able to route through you when like your phone's off or whatever um, or your app isn't open or whatever the case may be and and then the the payment uh, fails to route through that route and then it has to try another route and so like you're degrading the quality the the UX for other participants on the network uh, by publicly advertising your channels if you're not actually looking to route. Um, and uh, so his argument was, yeah, only only routing nodes should have public channels. Uh, and even a merchant shouldn't necessarily have public channels. Like you might, as a merchant, you might not necessarily be devoting yourself to a particularly high uptime. Uh, you just need your uptime to be high enough, right? Because uh -huh. uh, just so that you receive payments. Uh, but you're not necessarily trying to have, you know, 100% uh, availability. Uh, anyway, all this to say that uh, for a server, uh, C-Lightning might make more sense. And then for a client, uh, like a phone, maybe LND makes more sense. Um, we'll see how that evolves. And it also depends on, like, Neutrino, uh, the light client implementation that we had Matt Corallo on uh, to talk about a while ago, uh, how that evolves. So the other um, yeah, big so thing the of the, uh, the Lightning residency was everyone was working on an app. Um, and I, I think it was day five. Was that when y'all all showed off all your apps to each other? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the uh, so that in the morning we had those lectures and then in the afternoon uh, we worked on our uh, apps. And everyone... Broadly speaking, everyone had like a fairly unique, uh, different project than everyone else. Um, and uh, for people, so I, w when I got accepted, I was like, oh crap, I have not developed an Excel plugin in a couple of years. And on top of that, I don't actually know all that much about Lightning. So <laughs> maybe I need to uh, cram before. Uh, so I, I, I kind of set up the groundwork for my app for the uh, uh, Excel interface beforehand so that I wouldn't be like fiddling with Microsoft Excel configuration stuff 
during the week. Um, what I ended up fiddling with was, um, essentially like refactoring my whole code base so that I could have, uh, more intelligent change detection. Uh, when I first started the residency, when you pulled up a sheet, it would start at a zero state and then populate it. And then when you clicked on a different sheet, like it would reset to the zero state and then you so basically it. almost like no state to the app. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, during the residency, I set up kind of a, a data cache and then it would do a diff between the data that it received from the server uh, and the existing data that is already being rendered on the front end. And then based on that diff, it would update specific cells. Uh, dramatically improving the user experience and uh, the stability of the software itself. Because like, if you would click around while it was populating the entire table, like it would crash. <laughs> well, uh, I did see a lot of tweets. Uh, uh, I don't remember who it was, but there's one, one of the people uh, organizing the event thought that it was uh, uh, the most creative app. Um, so, you know, kudos to you for, for working on all that. Uh, what were some of the other especially notable apps that you saw? Yeah, so uh, there is a, a German guy that is like uh, the uh, lightning Santa Claus with a smile on his face all the time. Um, and uh, I, I shouldn't call him the Ger German guy. It's uh, Rene Pickhart. And uh, he's at Rene, R-E-N-E. P-I-C-K-H-A-R-D-T on, on Twitter. Uh, he tweets out like interesting videos about uh, Lightning app development. So definitely go follow him and, and then you'll see uh, some pretty interesting educational videos. Um, and his project was creating like, uh, how would you rebuild something like Coinbase, you know, like a custodial wallet using Lightning? And uh, I, I hope that someone like, essentially either uh you know partners with renee or whatever to to actually build up a uh, custodial solution um because ultimately i think that bitcoin and lightning's value in being permissionless and open is that users have the option mm -hmm. uh to use a custodial solution when they want to and then when they don't want to they have the option to not as well um so i found that to be a, an interesting project uh, and he was he was using C Lightning for that, and um, it it got me dreaming about some of the cool stuff you could do with a custodial solution. Um, the the problem with a custodial solution is you got to deal with the government regulations uh, and all of that. So because you're you've got other people's money. Um, but the other really interesting one I found was uh, so there was actually two different people working on a similar concept, uh, which was a uh, kind of an in-browser uh, wallet, um, Lightning wallet. And uh, so I already talked about Will Will's implementation. Um, and then uh, Felipe, I believe was his name. Uh, he had one as well. And, and his demo was like, uh, Will's demo was kind of the classic uh, remove adver advertising by paying X amount. And uh, the other demo was uh, watch a video. And the interesting part was that like you could see the video buffering, 
but it would only buffer as payments were sent out. And so, like, the, the it was that granular. Like, it was based on the bytes buffering in the video that you would uh, you'd pay out. So yeah, that, yeah that that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, I could imagine something like that would be great for uh, streaming. Uh, yeah. Not, not in the sense of something like Netflix, per se, but more uh, live streaming events. Well, yeah, and, like, we, we've seen, like, Twitch TV, uh, you know, for video game streamers, like, take off, where uh, they actually do use it as a source of, like, revenue, and, you know, some people, like, do pretty well on Twitch, or or, or they're doing a, what was that thing you were telling me about, ASMR, or is... Oh, uh, uh, yeah, a- a- AMSR, I think, uh, yeah. I always forget the exact, what so, it stands for. So, they... <laughs> The, uh, the the people who are creating these videos, uh, it's mostly women, uh, and uh, they they started getting censored by uh, by companies, not even by the government, but by companies, because they were seen as like being sexual. But really, like, there's controversy about this. It's because it, the, the hand, whole history of it. So it's it's ASMR, autonomous yeah. sensory meridian response. And I remember when this first popped up. I think it was on Reddit. Basically, because Reddit and other places like this on the internet, you see this in a lot of, uh, I, I think, normie memes generally, is this, this phenomenon of people finding out that something they thought was weird about themselves, because it's just things that you don't talk about, um, occur in other people. Um, you know, whether it's like, you know, oh, that great feeling, uh, you know, of, of like, you know, a certain kind of coldness when you're laying in bed and stick your foot out the blanket or something. And you think you're weird for even thinking about this. And then others on Reddit are like, oh, I I have that same feeling or whatever. This one had started, apparently, I don't have this, but when you hear certain sounds, there's like a tingling sensation that occurs in them. Uh, Like, I I, I don't know where, like, I I guess it's on their, their neck um, mm. or maybe even their scalp or whatever. It's like a weird sensation. And so this would be like, maybe like the sound of someone like opening a bag of potato chips or something. And so people yeah, were that just, doesn't do it for you, Michael. No, no, I got Potato chips. No, no. I've, I've heard a lot of sounds in my life. I need, I need way more than what that. What about throwing a steak on the grill? Oof, now we're talking. But anyway, so anyway, like it evolved over time, where people were just making more and more of these these videos, and yeah, now now there's a whole bizarre. I was reading articles about this when when I saw people getting kicked off because of course Bitcoiners always see these opportunities to say, "Hey, see, use Bitcoin." So I was reading about the people getting kicked off, and it's like you know uh, the the sound of a. you know, woman softly speaking to you in bed, which really is some very uh, interesting lines being touched there and, and walked down. <laughs> um, but all of those people, they should use Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they should uh, use this uh, this frame buffering uh, <laughs> facility and that's tacked into sea lightning uh and then they can make so, asmr videos where it's them talking about frame buffering yeah the, there's a demographic the, the sea lightning api and <laughs> there is a market for that and they got to find the price um 
So uh, anyway, yeah, I forget what we were talking about, but um, yeah. So after after this week of Lightning residency, I definitely um, am more bullish on on Lightning than I was before. Uh, I kind of had like uh, not 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 even like when the when the paper initially came out, and I think I've already talked about this. Like I I kind of blew it off as like whatever. What I find impressive is uh, that there are people who read the paper and were like forward thinking enough and low time preference enough to think, all right, we've got to add a few things to Bitcoin. We've got to fix malleability and we've got to figure out how to build a protocol around this innovation. Uh, It's going to take us a while, you know, 18 months famously. (laughs) Um, And uh, this will be a whole new way of scaling Bitcoin's blockchain. Uh, and like my, my hat is off to those people because I definitely would not have had the foresight to, uh, to see this coming. And, uh, I think that indicates how much more intelligent, uh, a lot of people are in Bitcoin than I am. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, the specific thing that made me more excited about lightning than I was before was, uh, the issue of how do we minimize routing failures for payments? Because I had experienced this issue myself. Likewise. When using Lightning, yeah. And basically, uh, the current implementation of Autopilot, which automatically creates uh, channels and closes channels, um, was released for the first time with LND 0.5. And it's basically a stub, is how I heard it uh, described. And uh, there's going to be a lot of different research for how to make an automated, um, how to make an autopilot that is uh, very intelligent and makes it such that uh, we can get payment routing failures to become a very, very rare uh, thing. You know, perhaps even rarer than uh, payment failures when you're using Visa due to like a network issue. Uh, And to get to that level of reliability, it's going to take a combination of uh, software development, um, but also like data science type uh, thinking and computer science. Um, but it's ultimately, it's like, it's a solvable problem. It's mm-hmm. not like uh, this is a, a hard problem that has been befuddling mathematicians for decades <laughs> or uh, it's, yeah. So if, if, if we can get autopilot working very well, uh, then the network can essentially scale like arbitrarily large, and uh, if 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 that's the case, then uh, we're we're going to have a very good outcome with Lightning. It'll be interesting to see if uh, having problems like this uh, just you know make flip some switches in various researchers around the world who may have not really cared about Bitcoin, but maybe these problems end up being sort of their stepping stone into Bitcoin. Yeah, and uh, Lightning's problems are very different than Bitcoin's problems. So uh, there's a whole host of different issues to be studied. And I also think you're onto something there because there's so many developers that were not really interested in Bitcoin development at all, and they're interested in Lightning development. And so, like, we've seen the emergence of a new developer community around Lightning 
uh, that, yes, has significant overlap with the Bitcoin developer community, uh, but brought in a lot of new people and I think will continue to bring a lot, in a lot of new people. Yes. Uh, well, and definitely, I, I remember we talked about this with uh, Lightning Koala, uh, but just the yeah. fact that it, it abstracts so much away that, you know, all of, you know, web development is so huge and everyone's trying to just create cool apps to put out there. Um, and if you don't even have to think about Bitcoin, you can just start making these things and see what works. Um, that, that lends itself to uh, a high degree of creativity and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, so let's see what, what other, uh, topics that I want to hit on. Um, did you have any other questions, Michael, about uh, I, the residency? That covers it for so, me. I'm, I'm just uh, waiting yeah. patiently for the videos now. <laughs> uh, the other thing I would add though, is that like, uh, the, me being more excited about lightning doesn't make me more like or less bullish on the price like i think that bitcoin can succeed and uh succeed at the same scale uh with or without lightning so to me it's it's more that lightning is a uh cherry on the cake icing on the cake uh rather than some kind of must-have otherwise we're going to get left behind and you know xrp or bcash is going to take the lead because of uh cheap coffee payments absolutely yeah i've i've I think we've said that a, a couple times on the show so far, and I, I wholeheartedly deg- uh, agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention that because I, I, I just said that, yeah, I was I was more bullish on Lightning. But the, the other thing is that, like, the um, another... Well, so, you know, uh, BitMEX, they're, like, a huge, mm-hmm. uh, like, derivatives trading... Um, operation that only accepts bitcoin as and only pays out bitcoin uh and it's it's been referred to as uh the ceo's name arthur hayes and it's called arthur's casino uh, but basically the w- one of their developers was at the residency and he was just like you know they're not going to implement lightning anytime soon but he was prototyping like how they could if if you know they would um and you would think that like putting in $20 to an exchange or $20 worth of Bitcoins. It's like not a big deal, but because they allow leverage on their platform, like that $20 can, you know, you could put in a 10 X bet. Right. And so it's like essentially $200. Now, granted, you're going to get wiped out when it, when the price goes down 10%, but which happens all the time. Um, but, uh, you could see someone like, uh, putting in little, little bets like that, uh, where, they are using a trusted third party, uh, which is the uh, Arthur's Casino. But at the same time, they're using it in a trust minimized way where they don't have to hold their bankroll uh, at the casino. They can hold it on their Lightning node and be sending over you know, bit, you know, know, $20 worth at a time or whatever it may be. Uh, and yeah, so I think that it's going to like introduce some, some new interesting opportunities. Specifically, where you're you're overlapping a lightning payment method with a centralized service. So I guess in the the casino metaphor, um, it's instead of having to go buy chips from the casino, you can just go to the table and throw down twenties. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
That's a very good way of putting it. And in fact, it reminds me of a story I was uh, in. I did a study abroad in Hong Kong and I, we would go to Macau to go gambling. And uh, at one point, something fishy happened because so a friend of mine was on the roulette table and he put cash down on a bet and it wasn't until like the ball had stopped you know moving that the casino employee was like oh that doesn't count because you didn't put it down in time or something and we were all and and like he would have like doubled his money or something and we're all looking at each other like you guys are fucking scammers (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah lightning would help avoid that problem It'd be interesting and, too. I mean, I'm sure there's there's business reasons why they wouldn't have yeah. this, but it'd be interesting to see if they're developed, for instance, in Vegas, um, Bitcoin casinos that were literally using Lightning Network in this way. Yeah, yeah. That that would that would be interesting. So you would go into a casino with your your iPhone, basically, and maybe like. Maybe it has like a slot that you put your iPhone in or something uh, that it just that keeps way the NFC going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, hmm. Although, I, see, the other thing too is that like I, I don't like trying to think of use cases that I find to be predatory in a sense of like <laughs> exploiting people who have a gambling addiction. Like I, I, I try to think of use cases that are. I, I think the only. I mean, I've, I've, I've gambled maybe like very very few times um the only time i i gambled in vegas um i i I used the best slot machine i won every time it was a bitcoin atm yeah (laughs) that's how you win every time yeah (laughs) get get some real coins out um yeah, so I don't really have anything. So I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna commercialize the Excel plugin. It's fantastic. Essentially, have uh, like the source code will be on GitHub. If you're a developer, you can go get it. Uh, if you have and so like to use it, you got to use Visual Studio to to like build it or whatever. Um, and it's not like I'm gonna like cripple the open source code or anything like that. It's gonna be the same thing. It's going to be uh, I'm gonna be using to build the the binary executable and putting that behind a paywall so that users who don't want to install Visual Studio and who are not developers uh, can actually pay for the support that they will inevitably need uh, because they are experimenting with an experiment that's on top of an experiment. Uh, so yeah, that's, and, and also it's going to have like a mainnet faucet. So you'll be able to get real Bitcoins rather quickly and be able to uh, go on Satoshi's place and uh, erase Erase, I said, uh, inappropriate imagery from Satoshi's place. Uh, yeah, and I'm calling this uh, Lightning Power Users. So I got the uh, lightningpoweryousers.com uh, uh, domain name. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how many uh, Lightning Power Users there are and uh, if they're interested in using Excel. I've already got a number of people uh, being like, hey, Where's the plugin? Because <laughs> I've been posting uh, screenshots on Twitter, and it, it has appetized the uh, Windows section of crypto Twitter, of Bitcoin Twitter. They they're underserved. Like all of the every, all the software is directed at Linux or Mac OS. Well, there's, or, there's or uh, Nicholas addressing their needs. Well, but that's on server side, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't. 
yeah. So so really, and the other thing too is that. This this kind of plugin is actually really nice for a situation. For example, like I saw a bunch of people receive their Casa HODL nodes recently, and so this interface could actually connect to your Casa node at home, um, and also it could connect to your BTC Pay server uh, LND instance because like you're receiving these Lightning payments, and you might not necessarily want to close your channels on your BTC Pay server. Uh, you know, to cash out to on-chain bitcoins, uh, maybe you want to actually send Lightning out, uh, Lightning payments out, uh, and essentially reuse the capacity that you've been given. So there isn't an easy way to do that with BC, BTC Pay Server. It, it'll be nice when there is, like when when you can go into the web interface for BTC Pay Server and like send out Lightning payments. Uh, but right now you can't do that. Um, so having some kind of client. Uh, whether it's my Excel plugin or any other kind of client uh, connecting to that server, uh, to that LND instance would be very helpful. Yes. Well, uh, the other thing to note is that writing Bitcoin code uh, with Visual Studio for Windows is Satoshi's original vision. So that's right. That's that's where it all started, and then the evil Bitcoin core developers hijacked that vision. And uh, you know, started doing uh, post six compliant uh, type stuff. So uh, shame on them. And and they replaced, I think it was like WX widgets or something like that with uh, with Qt. Qt so it's known. Um, which yeah, we've we've got to you know actually we should try to like have a a fork of Bitcoin Core that replaces the cute UI with WX widgets uh, to bring it back closer to what Satoshi's original vision was and have a dark net market built into it. Yes. And and not use these newfangled payment channels. End sequence only. Yeah, end sequence only. Uh, yeah, the, I think the problem with end sequence was that miners can uh, cheat and mine older transactions. Yes. Because there's no way to know. Uh, so, yeah. Nice try, Satoshi. Try again next time. I think I think that speaks to, like, Satoshi... Because th- th- I, I hear this argument made as well. Of like, And you could make this argument for why Satoshi's implementation of payment channels is okay. Which is that you'd say, well, look, uh, miners want Bitcoin to be as valuable as possible. And so they would use end sequence properly and they won't try to cheat, uh, you know, because if they cheat, then people will think, oh, Bitcoin's unreliable and we can't use payment channels on Bitcoin. And so therefore the end sequence approach is fine. And like, I hear this type of reasoning about miners uh, a little too often, which is uh, like we're depending on them being exceptionally rational in trying to maximize Bitcoin's value. Yeah, my problem is that argument is too much of a religious argument that relies on a faith in the miners. Um, yeah. Whereas I try to be more rational and verified using my own uh, full node. And, and like adversarial, right? Because you could say that like, okay, yeah, you're, let's, you know, all right, fair enough. Miners are economically incentivized to maximize the value of Bitcoin. But what if like someone hijacks a pool 
and uh, starts doing nefarious things. So, like, that's where the theory kind of falls apart, where, uh, no, it's not necessarily the case that miners are going to be uh, operated by someone who is a philosopher king. Yeah. Well, in fact, with, with uh, fewer people watching, there's, you know, more you can get away with. Yeah. So, run, run your full node, folks. Run your full node, <laughs> folks. And right now, actually, one of the problems with Lightning is that you have to run a full node uh, to, to be able to use it. But um, I, I call it a problem because you don't necessarily always want to, or you're not, like, when I'm on my laptop, I, I'm not going to run a full node. Like, I, I run a full node on my desktop. And yes, ideally, I would be able to connect to it. But that's not necessarily, you know, like, I don't want to be exposing ports to the open internet. And mm -hmm. yeah, I know there's ways around that, but uh, I'm, I'm lazy and I want Neutrino so then I can uh, do things on my laptop without downloading the full chain. Um, yeah, anyway, we can take uh, audience questions because we're already at an hour. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's see on the on the sheet here did you have a question that stood out to you as being particularly uh interesting uh i it's been a while since i've i've looked at this we've, we've been so busy with other so, things yeah I, I see one here that uh says uh i loved episode 0 0.27 who is the ayn rand fan and uh that's because i put an ayn rand recording on that one and I actually, you're in luck, buddy. I answer your question in episode 0 0.30. Uh, so with Murad and Jeff, because I was listening to that today. So go check that out. And uh, you, you'll find out that I am the Ayn Rand fan. Although, I don't know, have you, are, you're an Ayn Rand. I, I, look, I, I, I like her. I think she would, I, and I think yeah. we talked about this. She, she would have been the best tweeter. Um, yes, yeah. Just, you know, wonderful troll because she was just so um you know gifted with wit um and uh you know brevity and all of that but i i think she could have she could have bullied me off of twitter if we got into like kant oh or, yeah you know, something yeah. like that, or libertarianism <laughs> uh, uh but uh i've i've honestly only actually read anthem and a couple yeah. other things um so i love the one but i never i never actually like I didn't. I didn't. I. I, tr I think I tried to read the Fountainhead in high school, and I got bored pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I. I tried reading the Fountainhead and got bored as well. Um, after having read Atlas Shrugged, <laughs> cover to cover. Um, so I think that there's like, uh, if if we do the uh, expanding galaxy brain meme, like Atlas Shrugged is for dumb people like myself, and then more evolved people like. Uh, anthem or uh fountainhead but i've heard okay. uh, is it we the living or we yeah um yeah. I, i've heard that's very good um i i have nothing against atlas shrugged i just never got to, around to reading it and you know the, the high school is a great time to read that because it's so long um yeah as as time goes on it becomes much less justifiable to sit down with a thousand page book just for the fun of like something that it's also like in high school, you haven't been hearing about this already. I also haven't read as much Hayek as a lot of other libertarians. I've read a lot of the seminal essays, but like um, I didn't, I didn't dive as hard into things like road to serfdom because 
I went I went straight into mainlining Rothbard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I I read Road to Serfdom cover to cover after having mainlined Rothbard, Hoppe, and um, uh, who was the other big influence at the time? Walter Block. And and when I read Road to Serfdom, I was like, this is so the weakest. Like it's very well written, and he it's, he's very intelligent, but. It felt like I was uh, eating some or drinking some very watered down wine. Yes. Yeah. I was like, all right, this is this is good wine. I could, <laughs> I, it's promising here, but there's also a lot of water in this. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, I never I never got into like actually becoming an objectivist or, you know, like uh, seriously studying uh, Ayn Rand. I just kind of I'm not uh, I'm not good Alan enough Shrugged at and, uh, monologues. Yeah, <laughs> I always imagined and, and a I, uh, uh, like a comedy sketch where it's just objectivists in very mundane scenes, like at a diner, and then you know the yeah. waitress comes up and say, "Sir, would you like some more coffee?" And then he gets up and gives an eighty-page monologue about you know people who mooch too much coffee, right? About coffee payments, <laughs> uh, and. I've 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 heard the accusation, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll spread spread the rumor anyway, that Ayn Rand was on amphetamines when she wrote Atlas Shrugged, and uh, thus Atlas Shrugged is best read while on amphetamines. Uh, <laughs> consult a physician, obviously. I'm not giving you medical advice here. So what it was? Never... It was actually only supposed to be as long as Anthem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it started out as a short essay. It, like... it started out as a 140-character tweet. <laughs> and then once it reached several million characters, she copy-pasted it into a Word document because she was afraid the web page would refresh. <laughs> <laughs> or it was a tweet storm, uh, and she didn't want to give the content away to Jack, so she published the book instead. Well, that, would, that would have been one hell of a tweet storm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that answers uh, that question, uh, and this is episode thirty-two. We're on. Um, so let's let's see if we can answer another question here. Um, oh, this is awkward. Are you still planning a live show in Seattle in late October? <laughs> uh, no, uh, because I did the lightning residency instead, uh, but. Uh, I I still want to do a live show at some point. We just he, gotta find uh, he didn't. Or I don't I don't know who answered this. I shouldn't assume. Uh, that yeah. person did not specify a year. So oh, yeah. you know, we are still planning to 2020, do it. 2020, 2021. There's many years ahead of us. Um, I hope that at least one of those years includes at least a live show in late October as well as perhaps others, because there's, uh, there are some great, great uh, Bitcoiners out in uh, Seattle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, yes, we are still planning a live show in Seattle in late <laughs> October. It might be a completely um, other month, but yes. <laughs> so this, this question is interesting as well. It's lightning related. Uh, Miners mine because of new Bitcoin reward. When block rewards go down, okay, this the grammar here is leaves something to be desired. But when the block reward goes down and people use the Lightning Network, that means that there's less fees on the main chain, 
what's the incentive to keep the hashing power on the network? Thanks. So uh, my my troll response to this is uh, there is no incentive to keep the hashing power going on the network. And we'll have uh, the equivalent of Yap Stones, where basically the the UTXO set at the last known block uh, is, you know, the cutoff. And uh, we'll all just use the Lightning Network uh, on top of that. <laughs> so, yeah. well, uh, set in stone. John Newberry, I think it was on his first appearance uh, out of many um, here on the Noted Podcast. He had talked about the, I think it was on that one that we talked about this very issue. Um, and he brought up, uh, I, think it was, uh, I think it was on that, that he brought up uh, Jevons' paradox. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on t- uh, so the interesting thing along those lines that got brought up during the residency was that I think it was Christian Decker who was explaining this. Is it like on chain, you pay per byte, you pay per unit of data that you are consuming. Um, Off chain, you pay based on the amount of value you are sending because you are exhausting the directional liquidity of channels and they will charge you more the more you exhaust them in that direction interesting so does that mean that uh there will actually be a market price where at some point that's too much money you might as well just pay wait the 10 minutes etc um and do it on chain rather than off precisely yep and we don't know exactly what how many bitcoins you sending that means and it also like it has to do like uh, how many inputs are in the transaction right like there's a number of different variables that determine the size of a uh, an on-chain transaction um but yeah that's exactly right so it will hopefully clients will be like hey i noticed you're trying to send let's say 500 dollars worth of bitcoins you'll pay two dollars in lightning fees if you do it or you could pay a dollar and fifty cents in on-chain fees if you do it on chain uh and how fast so do you that, need this right how fast do you need this uh so clearly there's an equilibrium point between the two and i i yeah we'll we'll, we'll see how things evolve because the other thing too is that like to arbitrage between the two like you open a channel that consumes on chain right uh uh data and um yeah, we, we don't know what the like what the topology of the network of the Lightning Network will look like, uh, but you could be in a situation where if you have a highly circular flow, where if you work at Whole Foods and you only spend money at Whole Foods, and your apartment is owned by Jeff Bezos, <laughs> that you could be in a situation where really uh, you're using uh, you know company script. Um, on Lightning Network. Um, but yeah, basically you wouldn't have to open or close any channels because you're always in the same circular uh, relationship uh, and you have very few hops. But uh, yeah, I, this is all like very woo-woo, hand-wavy stuff because we we don't know. Well, what I do know is that the scenario, the extreme scenario of either... Lightning is completely unusable because routing is impossible or routing is so perfect that there's never any demand for on-chain and somehow, you know, there's no like equilibrium point between on-chain and off-chain. Like 
the those two extremes i think are far-fetched uh, it's really i would make an argument to moderation here of it's going to be somewhere in between uh and that's going to be really nice for bitcoin and for uh getting to send payments in a trustless manner um did you have another question michael before uh we, I, we close out the episode i was listening to you rather than uh um <laughs> looking at the questions well, I, I should I should try to write a medium post about this. I'm not qualified enough to write a medium post about it because it's I, I'd have to like dig into the math of stuff and try to like model. I'm not I'm not an economic econometrics person, you know. Like this is all like very theoretical. So I'd rather just see how the data plays out and like build shit. Uh, this last one is interesting, although I don't know if I know enough about Schnorr signatures to give uh, as definitive of an answer as um, he might want. Uh, but this person, according to one of your tweets, you expect fees to increase quite a bit in the coming years. Should we be consolidating our Bitcoin now so any small amounts don't become unspendable like we experienced the last time fees were at their all-time highs? Or something, something like Schnorr signatures make consolidation unnecessary? Now... Uh, Schnorr signatures will not make consolidation unnecessary, um, but uh, Schnorr signatures will make um, si si Schnorr signatures are smaller a little bit um, than EC ECDSA, um, I believe. Meaning, um, you know, it, it could change up the different times uh, that you choose to do the consolidation, but. There will always be times where you feel like you might need to consolidate some of your, your, your dust and other small amounts of Bitcoin. Um, but, it, it, uh, sorry, did you have something? Oh, I was just going to say that, like, I think that the fee market is always going to oscillate and, like, have ups and downs, essentially. Um, and we'll, primarily because, basically, people try to consume as much capacity as possible because they're doing stuff on the blockchain or whatever. Um, but then uh, there's always like innovations on the scaling side. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. And so like anytime like fees start getting high, we'll start seeing some innovations happen or like straight up block weight limit increase, right? Um, and on top of that, you have the cycle of the Bitcoin price going up and down uh, in USD. And so that that those price manias drive a lot of on-chain activity. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have kind of the response to that, which is like liquid or other forms of off-chain uh, transfers where uh, then we'll have it swing back in the other direction of, uh, you know, that, that capacity being uh, not consumed. So... I think that there will always be like you might not like some some of your outputs might be unspendable at one point in time, but if you wait like six months, they'll be spendable. Mm -hmm. um, on a similar vein, I had I found a great uh, question and answer on the Bitcoin Stack Exchange um, answered by our former guest uh, Merch, um, and the question is how do Schnorr signatures impact coin selection and the UTXO growth? Will Schnorr signatures uh, incentivize different practices in coin selection? How do they impact the UTXO set in the long run? And Merch says that, yes, Schnorr signatures are generally s slightly smaller than ECD ECDSA signatures. A comprehensive coin selection algorithm should therefore um, 
uh, prefer an input with a Schnorr signature at high fee rates and should prioritize using up uh, non-Schnorr Schnorr input at lower fee rates to minimize costs. Um, in combination with the signature aggregation, uh, we may generally see more consolidation and batching transactions and may additionally see a market for creating multi-party transactions as combining multiple transactions will lead to a low, lower overall cost. I would expect the UTXO set to shift from old style UTXO to newer, more efficient formats over time, but whether the growth of the UTXO set would be impacted and how is difficult to predict. Um, so the important thing to get from that is that, uh, yeah, these things are gonna be very complex and quite honestly, I'm just excited to see what people come up with. Um, there's, there's just so, we're entering such incredible new territory um, we're going to, we're going to have yeah, reason to, to record noted episodes for a very, very long time. Yeah. God, God forbid we ran out of content. <laughs> um, but the other thing too, is that like, what, what, what I like about Bitcoin's scaling innovations is that, uh, it doesn't like give in to trade-offs willy nilly. Um, and it kind of maintains the trustlessness of it, uh, which I find to be like, uh, makes all of this palatable. Otherwise, I would really be scoffing at all of this as utter nonsense and garbage. Oh, much sure. Like I do with all coins. It's it's sort of like it's almost hand wavy in a way. Uh, if you yeah. if you don't have that, you 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 broke down the dichotomy. Actually, I don't remember if you got it from someone else, but in your Bitcoin government governance article, you talked about the sort of deontological uh, mm. versus uh, I guess utilitarian. Uh, view of Bitcoin governance and scaling and all of that. And yeah, when you have this sort of deontological position of just like, well, we're going to have this trustless thing and go from there. Well, we've already decided that Bitcoin as it is meets what we wanted in the world. Um, so everything from here is just exciting. Um, and we just get to see what more, what, what more icing can we put on the cake or, you know, what more, you know, bacon can we, pile on the stake, um, hmm. uh, rather than, you know, f feeling like this is, uh, you know, all kinds of deal breakers or, uh, hand waving away, you know, real problems and stuff like that. Yep. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap up the episode and, uh, get on with our lives. Uh, yeah, th thanks everyone for listening. And uh, if you have not subscribed to the podcast itself yet, uh, do so through your favorite podcasting app. Uh, we have a Patreon set up, so you can actually sit in live on uh, the recording of the podcast if you become a patron on patreon.com slash noted, N-O-D-E-D. Um, if you have ideas on like ways that uh, we can improve the show or like, uh, you could tell us, hey, I'm not going to become a patron until you do X, Y, and Z, as long as it's legal, uh, we'll consider it. And uh, maybe, you know, we'll get you to be a patron that way. Um, like, we'll we'll have a steak dinner with you or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, and uh, do we have anything uh, else to announce? Um, yeah, go on our Twitter accounts and follow us. Um I think that everyone listening already does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, it was a good one.
is it better to work in a mindless job and make money or is it better to follow your passion and possibly make less money? Hmm. I, I definitely think the best thing to do is work at a job that you're passionate about and make a lot of money. <laughs> that, that, that's that's the best thing to do. I do know that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not always possible. And, and here's something you got to be careful of. Y- have you ever heard people talk about making your hobby your job, yeah, right? Yeah. And generally that's like, oh, I, if I make my hobby my job, then I'll enjoy my job, yeah. right? There's another way of looking at it. If you make your hobby your job, you won't like your hobby anymore. Yeah, That's another way of looking at that. So it depends on what kind of, like a jujitsu instructor, yeah. right? Hey, I'll just open my own school and then I'll just I'll just get to do what I love all day long. Yeah. You talk to a lot of jujitsu instructors after six years, they don't even like going to the academy. They don't want to go to the academy anymore because it's all this, oh, ah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to teach another white belt how to do an arm lock. They're <laughs> over it. So it's not necessarily the best thing to make what you're passionate about. In And there's some people that teach jiu-jitsu every single day, and they love it, and that's awesome. And so they've they've won, right? Because yeah. they're making money, they're doing, they have a good livelihood, and they enjoy doing it. So yeah, but my, my goal would be to to do something that I'm passionate about. At the same time, you got to set yourself up so that you're not stuck without any money, right? Because yeah. passion doesn't pay the rent. I'll tell you a, an example of this. Greg Train. Sure. Years ago, Greg Train said to me, hey, here's my options. I can like kind of scrape by, teach wrestling, teach some jujitsu, and train to fight. Or I can... I got accepted into this program to be an x-ray technician. And he asked me, he's like, what do you what do you think I should do? This was a long time ago. It's probably like 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. Maybe even longer. Yeah. Anyways, he asked me and I said, listen, how many hours a day do you want to train? And I said, how many hours a day can you train? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, maybe three or four hours a day. Okay. So if you want to do this three or four hours a day, and you're not going to make any money. What are you going to do with the other, whatever, 20 hours a day? Yeah. You could actually build a career and make real money doing the x-ray thing. And then you could still easily, because you work eight hours a day. I was like, I was like, Greg, I work 12 hours a day. I work 14 hours a day. I'm still here training. Mm-hmm. You can work an eight-hour day and still train. And yeah. you can train four hours a day. And you can be fine. And you'll have money. You won't have to worry about paying the rent. You won't have to. You'll be able to buy, you know, nice things. You'll have medical insurance. All those things. And he made the decision Mm -hmm. to go to X-ray school, and he ended up doing great in jujitsu and doing great in fighting. And he ended up getting some injuries that were like, if he would have just been a fighter, they would have been really problematic because you know he couldn't fight for a long time. He so um, that's the kind of that's the kind of judgment call. Yeah. Right. You can make. Um, Now, what what this question is saying, though, is can you do something where you make a little bit less, but you're passionate about it? That's that's pretty easy call as far as I'm concerned. If you just make a little bit less, but you love doing it. Well, that's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Now, you got to ask yourself, where does that put you in the future? And then you got to ask yourself on the other side is could you do this job that you don't really like? for long enough that you could make a difference? Like you could do this job that you don't really like and all of a sudden you got a down payment for a house 
and then you go buy a house. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's that's not a bad movie, a bad move either. But you could also this is where people trap themselves. They have the job that they don't like. They're making a little bit more money, and instead of investing towards getting out of that job and setting themselves up so where they can do something that they are passionate about, what they do is they expand their lifestyle. Yeah. That, that's the big mistake. Yeah. They expand their lifestyle, and all of a sudden, you know, they're making $100,000 a year at this job that they don't really like. The other job, they were going to get $75,000 a year. And that that's not bad, right? I would probably go for the thing that I really like doing. If it's a difference of $25,000, that's kind of a no-brainer to me. Yeah. What does the person do? They say, okay, well, I'll just stay in this job so I can make enough money to get a down payment on a house. And then what do they do? They buy a new car. Yeah. They go out to dinner every night. Yeah. They spend that extra 25000 that they could be putting into saving up for down payment. They spend it on stuff that they don't need. They end up with a $110,000 lifestyle while they're making $100,000 a year, and they actually go into debt, and now they're further away from the job that they wanted. Yeah. So... <sighs> I guess the answer here is, and I've said this before, come up with an exit strategy with contingencies if things go wrong, Mm -hmm. and then plan, save, prepare, and then execute. Yeah. Yeah, man. Sounds like a good plan. Good take on it. That's what it sounds like. The... I found that when you make your hobby your career, Mm -hmm. a lot of times like when you have fantasies about doing your hobby as a career, let's say I'm a photographer, right? That's a big one. That's a common one that Mm -hmm. I've heard. They'll be like, okay, because I like taking pictures. I Mm -hmm. like, you know, I don't know, maybe traveling or I don't Mm -hmm. know, whatever. Whatever I like taking pictures of, I like that kind of subject too. Uh, But so a lot of things when you're, um, you know, a creative person or you're into, uh, let's say you make baskets, right? Mm -hmm. You make the awesome baskets, mm-hmm. but to make it your career, a lot of the times it comes with like fifty yeah. percent, if not a hundred percent, additional chores and tasks by running that business. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, yeah, you like making baskets. Oh yeah, cool. And what you end up doing is making thousands of the same baskets oh, that they're yeah. gonna put. They're green with the Easter bunny in it, and that's what your job is to weave that basket yeah. over and over again. Everything that you're doing it for is now gone. Yeah, and and guess what? You have to do it now. And you have to do you it. You have to. Like, as a hobby, that's kind of, in my opinion, pr- pretty much the one of the two things that make a hobby so great is because it's fun to do, and you do it whenever you want. <laughs> as long as you have the time, as long as you you do it whenever you want. If you don't feel like doing yeah, it, you don't do it. Yeah. Like, if, if you don't feel like golfing tomorrow, you. Yeah. Are you going to I don't go? feel like golfing I tomorrow. Know. Are you going to go? No, I'm not. Oh, no, you don't. Yeah, of course not. You don't have to. But if you love making baskets and you don't feel like it, and you're like, hey, guess what? You got to make a thousand of those. I know you don't feel like even making one. You got to make a thousand now or make sure they're done or yeah. something. Then you're like, man, I used to love this thing. Now I don't really like it because all this pressure, which had nothing to do with my hobby, by the way. Nothing. Now it has everything to do with my hobby. Now you got. Now I have people calling me saying, hey, where's my basket? Hey, I'm the basket maker. I say when the basket gets made kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's gone. Yeah. So, yeah, so you don't really like it. And so, yeah, you got the repetitiveness, the 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 like – we call lack it, of control lack of control the pressure the pressure and then that's not to mention like <laughs> the day-to-day chores that allow your hobby activity to be a business or, or career or whatever man it's a lot like freaking t- taxes Oh, man. Taxes? Doing all that. Yeah, man. You know how like when you you work at like a job and yeah. the taxes are just taken out. The taxes are oh, taken yeah, out yeah, and yeah, all this yeah. stuff. But, man, you're weaving baskets. 
you know, in your in your new garage or whatever. Man, you got to do yeah. your taxes, all this. I don't know, man. There's just a lot more to it when you oh, switch yeah, over yeah, 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 from yeah. hobby to career. Yeah, that's true. So that's going to be. My shout out to my tax guy, <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> he rocks so hard. I know, man. He's the best guy ever. Yeah, I, I can dig it. But yeah, so there's that. And then, but yeah, if you're prepared for that, though. If you're totally prepared for that, or if you kind of like business, you know, that part of it, because yeah. there's a lot of chores in business. Yeah. And if you like that stuff, oh, man, that can be good. But, yeah. And, oh, and here's the thing, too, about when you get a good job. Or not a good job, but a high-paying job, but you don't like it. Mm-hmm. This is why. This is what I think, anyway. I don't think I've ever had a junk job that paid a lot. <laughs> you just had junk, low-paying jobs. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I had a few of those, yes, for sure. Um, so, okay, I, go, I wake up. I go to my job, drag myself to my job, right? Drag myself. And then I can't wait to get home. I get home, I get that paycheck after a week, two weeks or whatever. I get that huge paycheck. And then I, I got to drag myself to my job again. And I go home and I can, let me read. So basically your day-to-day for that junk job is so junk. I need something. I need pleasure. I need some for kind sure. of pleasure in my life. Let me buy that cool new car. So now, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. I'll drag yeah, myself yeah. to my job, but yeah. at least I'm rolling in that new, nice new car. Yeah. Or, but eventually, sh- you trap yourself with that car. Exactly. That car's right. a trap because that becomes yeah. the focus a lot of the times. Yeah. You know, You're like to make up. And I believe so. This is an interesting thing I've thought about. People like to make things. People like to make things. Like it's a it's a, it's a good feeling to make something, yeah. to create something. And I think a lot of the consumer attitude Mm. comes from the fact that, look, I don't have time to go and build a desk. Mm. And I wish I did have time to go build a desk, but I'll just go click on this button and the desk will show up in my house. And it's kind of like I created something. (laughs) Voila, there it is. Yeah, voila, there it is. And and that gives you that. But the thing is, it's a a short-term gratification. Yeah, that's why it keeps going. Yeah, and that's why it keeps going because you go, okay, I'd really like to make a desk, but I'm just going to buy this one. Or I'd really like to, you know what I'd love to do is just just completely refurbish an old car. Oh, I can't do that, but guess what? I can can just buy a new car and then I'm rolling. It feels good for a minute, Mm -hmm. but you don't get the pure, you don't get the deep satisfaction that you would have gotten had you refurbished the car. So you get, you trap yourself. So keep your spending in check. This is another part of this whole deal. Keep yeah. the spending in check. But that spending feels so good. And then, you know, how like when you have It depends like, because there's sometimes when you don't have a lot of money, spending hurts. You oh, know, yeah. it hurts when you're like, I can't separate myself from this money. Yeah. And you have you have a different mindset, I think. But I think like a, your average person, me included, is like the the spending hurts when you spend stuff, spend on stuff you need rather than what you like want. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's so backwards. I'm saying, oh yeah, it is. That's so backwards. Oh, big time. But it's it's a short term thing for yeah, sure. It's like yeah. the the immediate like satisfaction is like when you gotta pay. Let's say you you don't really have dental insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Or let's say you do, but you still gotta pay out about whatever. You gotta spend your money on that. Yeah. Let's say it's one thousand dollars, and you have fifteen hundred dollars in your bank account. We'll say. So it doesn't feel good to spend on dental, but it would have felt good to buy a new plasma screen oh, TV man. that you could watch the UFC Think about on. It. Think about it, yeah. bro. When that plasma TV <clears throat> comes in, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hook this up. This thing is awesome. I'll even put it on my credit card and pay for that thing over the next twelve months. Yeah, fifty percent interest on this thing. <laughs> I'll do that, no problem, because of that pleasure of getting it. But Oh, dental? You mean this toothache will go away? This toothache that's causing me a migraine will go away? And then I got to, you know, then when it's time to pay that bill, you're like, it's hard, man. You don't really want it. It's weird. Yeah, it is backwards, though. 
All right. Well, like I said, come up with a plan. Come up with an exit strategy with contingencies and then save your money and execute. Get yes. some. Check. Next question. 